0: podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners listed at your own risk welcome to hell on hills podcast i'm bryce i'm amanda
1: and hello hi howdy hey hola i can't think of any more okay um i'm good how are you not bad we had a pretty pretty easy day here i folded some clothes we went to the park
0: Is that what Annie crashed her four-wheeler?
2: That's exactly where Annie crashed her four-wheeler. Yeah.
0: I got this uh, Snapchat of Annie on the sidewalk and then Annie getting off the sidewalk, going off-roading on her little four-wheeler.
2: To be fair, uh, she made it off-roading.
0: She did. She was fine, but for some reason she thought she could do some tricks and stunts on the four-wheeler. So she was like standing up and I don't Mm. even know what she was doing, but she ended up on the ground. Mm-hmm. not injured this like
1: she was fine but she did end up on the ground and i laughed it's pretty funny i mean it was it was pretty entertaining seeing as it was so anticlimactic yeah
2: it was the slowest fall in history
0: it really was
2: mm-hmm. so how about you how was your day
0: um well i've been waiting all day to hear about the princess tent incident update whatever you want to call it you just text me and told me to remind you and so i did
2: so i sent you that text yesterday because yesterday is when i put up this princess tent it's like, the damn thing's like every of every but every bit of at least three feet wide i think it's actually like 4.7 feet wide or something like that. it's pretty large and it's like four feet tall four and a half it's, so it's your dream princess
0: tent. Anyone's dream princess tent.
2: See, I was putting this thing together and it's like it's not like rocket science or anything. It's those cheap plastic like the PVC pipes. Yeah. I broke a couple. Um This thing made me so angry. Part of it was also because as I was putting it together, Annie ripped the instructions three times. So she was trying to help and you weren't doing it how she wanted it. She was, she was trying to help and she was not helping. So I finally get it together and I'm trying to put in like the last two pieces. And it didn't fit. It still barely fit together. I don't, I don't understand this thing. I barely got it together. As I'm trying to put the pole in like the little sleeve, it slapped me in the face, which just hurt. Both my pride and like it physically hurt. It's this plastic slapping me in the... I have never been more angry at anything in my life than I am still this stupid princess tent. It's just a princess tent. You can't be mad at it. I'm so You get one. You get one. And then you put it together and you tell me how it went.
1: Cody will be putting it together.
2: Well, tell him to make sure it's not inside out. Because I did that one. Oh, okay. I took it apart. And put Um, it back together.
0: I'll make sure he knows. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a pretty fancy princess tent. I've seen plenty of Snapchats already about it. So, that was pretty fancy. Came with lights
2: and everything. It is really cute. Like, put together.
1: And she does just, she adores it. It's precious, but also I hate it, but you love it too. I love it for her, but
2: whenever she outgrows it, I might set it on fire.
1: Anyways. Yes.
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad that the, um, the princess tent gave you a little bit
1: of hell to put it up. Yeah. A little, (laughs) I mean, what, what else do you expect though? To be able to read directions in one piece. Um Annie didn't like how the directions read. Uh uh-huh, well <laughs> she she definitely did something about it. She was making sure every fun knew. Any other updates? Story times? I think so. That was it. Because I've got a story time. I don't know if I sent this to you on Snapchat or not.
0: I think I did yesterday. But I'm going to tell everyone that I've got the world's most dramatic freaking dog. Good hell, this dog. Apparently, I've created a monster. Complete little demon. Normally, if they're outside um, and I'm trying to get them in, I'll let Maisie walk over to the mailbox with me, which is outside of the fenced area. And she can go check the mail with me and we go back in. Last night, (laughs) I made a mistake. She was out on the other end of the yard. I didn't bother waiting for her to take her out to go check the mail. But I did call them all over so they they could start moseying on back to the door. And I go and check the mail. And I'm walking back and I just see Maisie's little furrowed brow glaring at me from behind (laughs) the fence. Like, what the hell are you doing? And she's just glaring at me. And I get back in the fenced area And I enter on her right, her head instantly went left, and she would not look at me for a good 10 minutes.
2: Literally, how dare you?
0: How dare I? I mean, she got over it when she forgot, but she was (laughs) so mad that I did not let her go check the mail with me. It was the biggest betrayal she's ever seen.
1: That's her job.
0: I know, and I, I didn't invite her to do her job. So I am the worst mother ever and she's upset with me or was upset. She's not anymore. She's fine. But. But you're still the worst mother ever. I'm still the worst. I'm also the best. (laughs) I'm also the best because she got to go unload groceries with me today. So Mm -hmm. that's more time consuming than checking the mail.
1: Oh, now we have a whole new errand. Uh, She's already. She does that one with me. (laughs) Fine. Anyways, that's my story. That's all I got for you. I appreciate it. I know. I thought you would. She was so mad. I cannot.
0: Because at first I was like, is she really glaring at me? Like, oh, it's probably just the lighting. No, she was glaring at me.
2: Oh, no. You get an expressive dog. They thousand percent. Like, you can see those. Pet owners know. They know. You can see those expressions. And you can also feel them.
0: Oh, Yes. And it's not like my mailbox is far. Like our mailbox is attached to our fence. So it's not like it's I'm going out to the road. It's I'm going into our driveway. Right. But it's
2: far enough.
0: It's outside of the fenced zone that she's like, it's an adventure.
1: You went without your chauffeur. I went without my protection. Chauffeur. No. The my other bodyguard. My bouncer. Bodyguard. Companion. Chaperone. Companion
0: chaperone there it is she could chaperone from a distance
1: she's not no she's a helicopter parent she's just a little bit of a brat is what <laughs> she is but that's that's all i got for you aside from are you ready for shout outs yep do you remember who we're shouting out texas okay your okay, face just yeah. dropped okay Amanda's face. I
0: asked if we were ready to, if she was ready for shout outs, and she was all smiles. And I asked that, and her face just drops like, uh, yeah, sure, ready. I remembered it at the last second. Yeah, we're shouting out Texas. Hey, y'all. Texas. Hi. Howdy. Hello. Hola. I don't know. What's the proper greeting in Texas?
2: I would say, howdy, maybe, or hey. Hey, y'all. It's probably just hello. Yeah, probably. We're overthinking
0: it. Yeah, we're real trying to overthink this uh, Mm -hmm. real trying out what's happening i'm not sure i was just gonna go with it but you called yourself (laughs) out the fruit scotto is getting to me already Mm
2: -hmm. it's fine (laughs) um but hey texas we see
0: you yeah y'all
2: been there for a minute yeah
0: we just barely realized today that we haven't shouted you guys out at least Mm -hmm. based off of memory we haven't shouted you out because someone here still sucks and hasn't gone through and figured out who we have and have not
2: shouted out not going to name names. I got offended, but then I realized you were talking about yourself. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to name names. I didn't say any names.
0: Okay. <laughs> Point being is that um, I, I just haven't had time. You know, I'm, I'm a busy girl. I've got a pissed off pup because I didn't let her go check <laughs> the mail with me. And quite frankly, yesterday, I just didn't want to do it.
1: So there. There you have it. There you have it. Maybe I'll do it next time. Maybe I won't. We'll see. Can we bet? Can we play spats? No, because
2: I bet I okay. won't. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to bet. So, you yeah, know, I bet I won't.
0: I said maybe. It's fine. Anyways, Patreon, that's up and going. We do have our different levels of support on our Patreon. Uh, the lowest being $3 a month or the highest at $10 a month. Um, currently, Amanda is working on releasing a Patreon special of the Goose Game. That we finished, so you'll actually get that in multiple parts. How we finished, it was because it was the best game in the entire world. It was wonderful. Who doesn't want to run around being geese honking at people? limos? Like, come on now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then we also are working on some other things for our patrons as well right now. So you should see more updates about that coming. And then... I shouldn't say more updates. You should see more uh, Patreon specials coming out soonish, And then we also have all of our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Discord. All of that's up and going. So our Discord link is posted in all of the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook things. Everything except for Twitter is Hell on Heels podcast. Twitter is Hell on Heels pod. That's just because Twitter cut us off and Instagram was created first. So
1: couldn't go back and change it then correction didn't want to go back and change it then (laughs) way too lazy for that so there is all of that and i think that's all i think that's it i think you covered it like a blanket that's it we're done bye guys i'm just kidding see you you next
0: week see you next week we're gonna keep them short and sweet like this going forward yeah Yeah. right (laughs) (laughs) well i've got a story for you are you ready
2: i'm so ready
0: because you know what it is. You might have forgotten what it is, but you know what it is. <laughs> Annie knows what it is.
1: <laughs> Can I get a word in? <laughs> Dang. I did forget what it was. <laughs> um, It's
0: kind of like another part of the Texas Killing Field one, but I found more information on it.
1: Mm, yeah, I remember or, what it was.
0: Yeah, I promised it last week and I followed through. Not last week, the week before, two weeks ago, and I followed through. Damn it! So we are going to be talking about the murders of Rhonda Johnson and Sharon Shaw. So Rhonda Renee Johnson, she was born December sixteenth, nineteen fifty-six. She was born in Houston, Texas, and Sharon Lynn Shaw was born August eleventh, nineteen seventy-five. She was actually born in Mobile, Alabama. Oh, yeah. Whoa! Hi. Anyways, yeah. at some point, both girls' families, they ended up in Harris County, Texas. And Sharon and Rhonda would become best friends. They, I mean, they're, they're girls in the hood. They're always hanging out. They're best friends. They're in the same area. And on August 4th, 1971, the girls went to spend the day on Galveston Beach. From what I could find, it was about 25 miles away from their homes. The girls were seen leaving the beach, but the parents became concerned when neither of the girls returned home. Eyewitnesses stated that they had seen the girls walking on Seawall Boulevard in Gavelston, and police would go on to conduct a missing person search, but they would come up empty handed. And that's until January 3rd, 1972, almost a year later. Two boys were fishing in Clear Lake, and these two boys. Saw what they believed at first to be a ball floating in the water, but on closer inspection, it was actually a human skull floating in the water.
1: Oh, God.
0: The boys would go on to call local authorities, who would begin searching the area, and six six weeks later, searchers would discover the rest of the bodies and the second decomposing body of another young girl. On February 17th, 1972, the coroner was able to identify via dental records that the school in the lake was the school of Sharon Shaw. There was also a crucifix wrapped around the jawbone that Sharon's mother identified as Sharon's.
1: Oh my god, that's that's horrifying. And the second
0: later would eventually be positively identified as Rhonda Johnson. The investigation turned from a missing persons to a homicide. In May of 1972, local police were to receive a tip from one Glenn Price. Glenn was a city councilman. He was very influential at the time. And Price would direct police to look into Michael Lloyd Self. Michael Lloyd Self was a gas station attendant. He was also a volunteer fireman in the area. He had had some run-ins with the law that began in 1970. He was accused of window peeping in 1970, and in order to have the peeping charges drop, Self agreed to do psychiatric treatment. Between October of 1970 and January 1971, Self would go in and have three psychiatric treatment sessions, whatever you want to call them. I didn't see details about what those were, but he would go in and have three different sessions, treatments, whatever you want to call them. Um, police, after they get this tip, they actually go in and they go see him at his place of work and they kind of talk to him. They're like, Hey, what happened with these two missing girls? And at first self is like, or correction. They don't say missing girls. Um, police say what, what's going on with these girls, these two girls and self claims that he initially thought that they were talking about his ex-wife and his new girlfriend. And he's like, okay, what's going on with these two? Like, I don't know what's going on. And he actually, he got voluntarily goes to the police station the following day on June 9th, 1972 for questioning.
1: Michael Self would go on to confess to the murders of Rhonda and Sharon. Okay. That seemed easy. Oh, this is only like page one of five. Did it say,
2: or do we know why this councilman, I think, was like, that guy, you need to talk to him
0: um it was because he had had a past so um with the peeping claims against him it sounds like from what i could find is there were several people that were kind of already like had an eye out or like a vendetta against him because of those reported peeping charges
1: okay so i guess i can kind of see that like they just were concerned that he would go on sexually assault someone anyways
0: um, Self would have an attorney assigned to him and he would begin going through the whole process. And at one point after having an attorney assigned to him, Michael Self would actually ask to take a polygraph test because he wanted to prove his innocence. He's like, I'm actually innocent. He tells his lawyer all of this and he kind of tells him, I was coerced into the confession. I didn't actually do it. I was just really scared. And his attorney does go on to advise him against doing the polygraph test. I mean, self is at this point he's signed a confession. He's gone through the whole thing. And I mean he's getting charges filed against him.
1: Let, Let me, me guess. Up. He does the polygraph test. No. Not right uh. then. Not when he initially requested. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, also after the confession, police would
0: oh, sorry, I misread that. After the confession, he would also take the police to the location where the remains of Rhonda and Sharon had been found. So From what I could find on this piece, this happened on two separate occasions with two different officers. But it turns out that they weren't supposed to do that. And it was considered self-incriminating and technically illegal. Oh. Yeah. Okay. After he did all of that, he was then examined at a hospital. And now I only found a couple reports about um, his medical examination but I couldn't really see anything that said he had any bruising on him or anything that showed any sort of force or attack on him but I also couldn't find anything that definitively said they couldn't find anything so I'm not sure if this next piece was prompted by something or just more of a formality but Harris County Deputy Sheriff would go to visit self in his self in his cell and Michael Self, he would deny any mistreatment during his confession during this visit with the Harris County Deputy Sheriff. Tells him, no, there's no mistreatment. We're fine. And all of that was done on June 9th, 1972. In the days following, Self would go on to sign another confession. So this would be his second confession. He'd be taped during a verbal confession. He was questioned about murders of other women. He was also given a polygraph test. I could not find the results of the polygraph test. I don't know if it showed that he he failed, passed, whatever. Um, Self was also directed to a separate Harris County deputy. Or I'm sorry, this is when he would also direct the separate Harris County deputy to the location of where the girls' bodies were eventually found. Now, his confessions, there were several discrepancies. Self had stated that he dumped the bodies in El Lago, and this was over 20 miles away from the marsh where the girls' bodies were actually found.
2: Is this like a different lake? Uh, like different a different city area. Is there any way that they could have like floated or ended up it's there?
0: marshland. I mean, it's not... also oh, so no. Yeah. Hmm. Self also claimed to have strangled both girls to death, and this contradicted the medical examiner's report who stated that they saw no evidence of strangulation? In fact, they couldn't determine a cause of death for these girls. Oh. On
1: June
0: 23rd, 1972, just three days after his confession, he would provide additional oral details that would again contradict his initial statement and the actual facts of the case. He stated that he picked up the girls at a Sizzler's and would drive to El Lago and go get food from Jack in the Box. And then he claimed to pull off in a secluded area. He would strip both girls, or I'm sorry, strike both girls in the head with a Coke bottle. And then he would strip their clothes and throw their clothes in the highway. This is contradictory again, because the girls were both found with their clothes on.
1: Okay. So if
2: he's confessing, he's not doing a good job. No. So either he's he's
0: done it and he's like, oh crap, I've got to start changing my story, making it so it's not obvious. or He's truly innocent. He again would go on and claim that he left the girls in a culvert on, um, on a separate road. So he's got these contradictory statements. And you might be wondering, well, why are there so many discrepancies in his confession? And, well, some sources state that Self already had a history with Police Chief Michael Don Morris at the time of this investigation. Now, Police Chief Morris had just been appointed the police chief like three weeks before. Prior. And Morris had accused Self of looking up girls' dresses as they walked up the stairs at an apartment complex. And this was an incident that happened before Morris was police chief, and he was at the time a security guard at that apartment complex. Morris had also talked to Self about gasoline thefts from the city fire trucks, and Self at the time had claimed to be threatened to be jailed if he didn't stop the thefts. And if you don't remember, Self was actually a volunteer fireman. So he had access to those fire trucks. And then just one week prior to the interrogation where he would he would confess to their murders, Self was um, questioned by Morris about possession of marijuana as well.
1: Okay.
2: It sounds like either one, this guy has a lot of shady hobbies
1: or two, this is like your Your first choice in scapegoats, right? Like,
2: Like, do you know any other? Do you even know anybody else's name, or is it like the wind blew a chicken into your wheat field on Tuesday? Damn it, it was self again.
0: There were some reports that stated that self may have been having um, extracurricular activities with Morris's wife. But I couldn't find any confirmation of that.
2: Uh, I feel like even if it was just a rumor, that would that would probably do it. I I can see that doing it.
1: <laughs> According to Michael Self,
0: he was coerced into confessing, and he was truly innocent. So he's like, "I didn't do it. I'm really innocent." Like he, I was forced into doing this, uh, this confession. And Michael Self stated that police chief. Morris had held him in confinement for hours telling him he would not leave until he had a confession and self-claimed that he had been held against a wall hit with a nightstick multiple times taunted by Morris with his pistol in this god-awful Russian roulette interrogation style. Uh, Basically self-claimed that Morris took out his revolver removed five bullets did the Russian roulette and just threatened him that way seems less than legal if that's true. Yeah, and basically self says he he was threatened basically to be killed if he didn't confess. And a lot of sources said that self was afraid of Morris, like self knew that he had a history already in the past and he wasn't good with confrontation and he finally just broke down and agreed to confess. Allegedly, he was forced to write the confession different times by morris because it didn't have the details that it needed to have
2: this is starting to sound really west memphis 3 here right
0: now before anyone's like he's just trying to save his own skin like that probably didn't happen which no one can confirm if it happened or not because there's a lot of he said she said on both sides but his story would go on to be corroborated by a local investigator dave coburn and coburn claimed to have witnessed uh, Morris treat different prisoners in the same manner just a year prior
1: so before he was uh was it police chief yeah so he was doing this he was doing this like the whole time then like
2: if you were doing it if you were doing it before I doubt you're gonna stop once you get to be where you want to be right like well Self,
0: he would move to suppress his confession, but both signed confessions were found at the time to be voluntarily given. So the courts were like, no, those are good. And they would be admit as evidence. Self-trial would begin on May 15th, 1973. And on September 18th, 1974, he would be convicted of first-degree murder for only Sharon Shaw. And he would be sentenced to life in prison. How I understood this is the jury was instructed basically to um, disregard the second confession if they had any doubts that it could have been coerced.
2: And so. Okay. Um, I'm a little confused on how you can think again, I wasn't there, but you thought just one was coerced and not both, even though both girls went missing and the, I don't, I don't know. Okay, that's that's weird. That's
1: all the
0: detail I really got on that one. Well, Self's attorneys, they would go on to appeal the case in October of 1974. Appeal would be denied. In 1976, Police Chief Morris and his deputy, Tommy Deal, who had both worked on the Rhonda and Sharon case, would both be arrested.
1: Oh, for... This is three years
0: after Self's conviction and Morris and Deal were arrested and charged with multiple bank robberies that dated back to 1972.
1: Wait, wait. What? Yeah. The police chief and his deputy were arrested for bank robberies. Not what I thought
2: you were gonna say. Like, that's if this was a multiple choice, I would not have chosen that answer. <laughs> that I would have because so I would have been like,
0: that's the most out of left field answer. This is a trick question.
2: I was literally just about to be like, that is straight out of left field.
0: <laughs> it's it was a trick question for sure. Um, I didn't go in and do any more deep diving on what bank robberies they did. I'm sorry, I just I didn't care. At least not for this case. I didn't care, but I am gonna try to find more details on their arrest and their crimes. Point being. Is Morris would be sentenced to 55 years in prison and Deal was sentenced to 30 years in prison.
2: Did they go to the same prison? Please tell me yes. (laughs) No, I don't think so. On April
0: 7th, or sorry, April 2nd, 1980, one Taylor Lake Village walked into a local police station and confessed to be responsible for the murders of Rhonda and
2: Sharon. Hold on, I'm sorry. What was that name? (laughs) Taylor Lake Village? Taylor Lake Village. So, not a town, but a person. Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. In his confession,
0: he mentioned having tied the girls down with electrical cord. This was actually a detail of the case that had not been released to the public, nor mentioned by Michael Self in either of his confessions. The man also reportedly lived near or in the same apartment complex as one of the girls. Oh, okay. But reportedly, this man was suffering from psychosis, and he's just kind of dismissed by police. You can't even look into Girl, bye. What? Girl, bye.
2: No, your police chief and his lackey just got arrested for, like, multiple bank robberies? Now is the time, if any, to do your job. I'm,
0: I don't, I don't know, okay? I'm just, I'm here to tell you what I could find.
2: I'm here to tell you I don't like it.
0: Even after all of this went down, Self would still be denied parole on numerous occasions, and he would continue to unsuccessfully appeal his sentence. In 1990, after one of Self's appeals, a judge recommended that relief be granted on the grounds that Self's conviction resulted from involuntary confessions that violated his Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination and his Sixth Amendment, uh, Amendment right to counsel. Thank you.
2: How long had he been in jail at this point?
0: Uh, That was 1990, so over 10 years at that point.
2: Oh, my God. Like, 15, 16. Yeah, it gets worse.
0: There, In this article that gave me all the details of this appeal, there was so much legal jargon. So, I'm so sorry if there is something that I misinterpreted. This was up to my interpretation. Y'all are screwed. But basically, what it means is that self would ultimately have a hearing that would determine If his fifth and sixth amendment rights were violated. So he's not out of jail. They're going to do a hearing to determine if they were actually violated. And there were a lot of things where it looked like this actually needed to go to the Supreme Court and not a state level because your amendment rights or your constitutional rights are a federal issue. They're not a civil issue. They're not the state's issue.
2: And did it go to those courts?
0: Uh, It it did. They did these hearings and I read about a lot of shitty things said about both sides um, that were reportedly done. Most of what I could find were people saying that the police chief Morris was the worst. Like, there were multiple people saying that they knew that this police chief Morris used this Russian roulette style interrogation and possibly harmed other prisoners um, or allude to harming other prisoners.
2: Okay. A request can and this is not just me and you, this is everybody. Can we stop calling it interrogation? Because that's not an interrogation. <laughs> that is that is mental torture.
0: It it is, it is a psychological warfare, basically. Yes,
2: yeah, I agreed.
0: Um, when I'm saying interrogation, there's quotations around it. Okay, <laughs> so that's what we'll stick yes. with for the remainder of this story. If you hear the word interrogation, quotations it's, okay? it's doo-doo. <laughs> yeah. So there were just so many inconsistent reports that it was so hard to follow because I read like the testimonies of different people and everything was just so inconsistent. There were some reports that stated that Michael Self was left alone with Police Chief Morris and then there were other reports that no he wasn't and then there were reports that these officers turned their backs on it while it was happening and then there's reports that no they weren't they weren't even in the room. Like it was just so much back and forth. Some reports stated that Morris was violent Others stated that, I mean, the ones calling Morris were violent. Like, there was a lot of, like, no, you're the violent one. No, you're the violent one. No, you're the one. It was just so much back and forth. This is just messy. There there was just so much he said, she said at this point. Like, this whole thing. Tommy Deal, who at the time was in prison, would write a statement that none of Self's claims were true and that there was no coercion. And they did take this into their final judgment. Uh, Morris would also state that at no time was there any forced confession, like, this was not, didn't happen. There was one officer, or I think it might have been multiple, that cited that they had seen Self before the confession, and, like, towards the beginning of the interrogation. And Michael Self was relaxed and fine, totally laid back, laissez-faire. And an hour or so later, after that officer came back, Self was clearly shaken and scared and very stressed. So, like, they just noted that his demeanor had very, very significantly changed. Ultimately, these findings would go on to find that there was no coercion in the confession at that time.
2: Oh, is that because the two men accused of coercing him just had so much to say about it? Stupid. I, I I don't know. I just, I don't understand why they were allowed to write letters or whatever from jail. I, I don't know. This is this is making me angry. Was that your goal today? <laughs> no, I told you I was going to
0: do this. I know. On September twenty second, nineteen ninety two, a written petition to uh, a written petition to appeal the case was submitted, and this appeal reference coercion in his confession was made. There is an excerpt from his appeal, um, and that expert says excerpt says the district court acknowledged that the state court had twice found that no force or threats were used against self to obtain his June 9th confession. Nevertheless, it found that the confession was so obtained and not freely given. Despite Miranda warnings having been given, this finding is influenced by its early unwarranted sous Ponte illegal arrest ruling, as well as by credibly, uh, sorry, as well as by credibility choices contrary to those made by the state trial judge who had an opportunity to observe the witness's demeanor and whose province included weighing conflicting testimony. So I mean, this—they're like, listen, they've—we know that there's two times already that that's found that this was not coerced, but it also was not voluntarily given. Like this was not like a, oh yeah, I totally murdered. It was like kind of forced out.
2: Okay, I was I was kind of confused on what that meant until you explained it.
0: Yeah, so he wasn't like they're saying they didn't find that he was beaten into giving a confession, but his Miranda rights maybe weren't understood he had waived a lawyer in one of the articles i saw it actually said that he had waived his right to a lawyer the week prior when he was being questioned for marijuana and then that they're saying that that they use that to carry over during this confession
2: i feel for, like that's not how that worked
0: it's not and i couldn't find any th- anywhere to validate that
2: right,
1: so okay
0: so that's why it wasn't initially in there but anyways that, that's basically what they're saying is it wasn't voluntarily given. He felt forced into giving it whether they physically forced him or not. And Self was refused a new trial by the Supreme Court in 1993, and this would ultimately exhaust all of his appeals.
1: Oh, my God. In 1998,
0: Edward Harold Bell would also confess to the murders of Rhonda and Sharon, but would never be charged for the murders. And Self would die of cancer in 2000 while still in prison.
2: Oh my God. In 2011,
0: the Houston Chronicle published an article in which Self's attorney stated their belief that Self was wrongly accused and coerced into making this false confession. This article would also cite two different investigators, a Galveston police officer and a former Harris County prosecutor who all believed that Self had been wrongly convicted.
2: And where were all these people? They were like, petitioning for him or well his
0: his lawyers were petitioning the two investigators Mm -hmm. were um, interrogated or not interrogated i'm sorry they were um called to the different hearings all of that they gave their statements but really what it came down to is there was no proof of coercion there was no proof of this he said she said or the russian roulette style in interrogation um there was just no proof but there was also no proof against it
2: yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I can, okay, I get that. But how, yeah. I don't, I guess I don't understand in that situation, like, how you would prove one against the other. Because if you are illegally interrogating somebody, pretty sure you're going to make sure, to the best of your ability, that you're not going to get caught. Right.
0: I, I mean, they got caught with bank robbery, so. Fair point. And I don't know, I feel like that should have been taken into account during with their statements because i feel like bank robbery is a pretty big crime like no one just goes in and robs a bank and it's all
2: ooh, you know no, no, and, i'm like i completely agree with you like if they were to call this person in court like pretty sure that's not the character witness you're going for here right so i i agree with you that that should uh invalidate some of their credibility on this
0: but I also wonder, is this, like, their chance to stand against their accuser? Because at this point, Self is accusing them of further f- further items, right? He's like, no, they, I mean, he basically said that Morris had hit him in the stomach with the end of the baton. Yeah, with the end of the baton, and then would go on to hit his neck three different times within 10 minutes. Oh, God. But I couldn't find anything that showed that there were marks, bruising, anything like that.
2: Yeah, I feel like that would definitely leave. I feel like it would leave a mark unless it was used as an intimidation tactic. Does that make sense? There were different reports
0: saying that it was used and that Morris was like slapping it in his hand. Just like, you know, like what the teachers do with the yardsticks or the substitutes in like all the movies where it's like slapping their hand with the yardstick, like. I'm gonna beat someone if they don't do their test yeah, or whatever. don't make
2: me use this.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it was that intimidation factor or possibly um, I, I don't know. It's a really hard one because there's so much inconsistencies.
2: Yeah. This is one like, I don't know if you're done or not, but this is definitely, oh, okay. This is definitely a story that has pulled me in both directions because at first I was like, what a little peeping Tom, like little, ew, and then As you kept going, I was like, wait a minute. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this case. It's really hard because I'm super
0: conflicted because I can see both sides. Like I can see how the courts would be like, but you made a confession. Two different Mm -hmm. signed confessions. We couldn't find any evidence of coercion. And I guess the polygraph test, he wasn't enough to like determine anything else. Like it's just really hard.
2: I still don't understand too how you said they threw out one conviction because they doubted the confession and only one of the girls. Well, these girls were friends. Well, they went here together, it, they left together. How can it be one and not the other?
0: It wasn't necessarily the c- confession of the murder of one of the girls. It was the second confession that he signed. So I think well, okay. really what it was was probably for the jury to do a give and take. They were like, "Listen, we're doubting this confession. Do we feel like we have enough to to find him guilty for both murders, or do we only find that we're not sure on this one confession, but this one we're gonna say we take into account and only do one
1: count of murder? Like one way or another, he's in life or in prison for life. Yeah. It's just I don't know. I don't
2: know how I feel about it, but when it comes down to it, I don't feel like this man should be it should have been in jail. Definitely don't believe that he should have died there.
0: When there's two separate people that also confessed and one of them had details that weren't released to the
2: public yes and y'all just like Uh, he's suffering from psychosis. He he's no no biggie (laughs) pish posh silly goose go along now run along
0: like no we don't need any of that maybe ask a couple more questions at the least i'm sure they did i I don't know i hope they did but i didn't find much more on that
2: I will say one thing. I hope uh, Mr. Bank Robin McGee over there, yeah, Mr. Morris, uh, Bank Robin and his buddy, I hope they suffer.
0: I'm sure they're not enjoying life in prison, especially if it's true that they were abusive or that Morris was abusive to other prisoners and he's in prison with those prisoners. Oh, yeah, that's. Uh, it's got to suck for him.
1: That is the epitome of what comes around goes around. Karma. Hmm. so that's all i've got for you did not like
0: that at all and also fun little thing is from what i could find they were actually like part of a like a gang that was robbing banks it wasn't just the two of them it was like a whole gang or something like that
2: that's even worse i feel because that's like the um they were the men on the inside
1: yeah anyways that's it that's all i got for you now Okay. Um. Well, I have a story. Is it less horrifying? Yes. Okay, I'm just going to jump into it. Okay. So I'm a little nervous because I've never done one of these before.
2: But do you want to hear a story about a UFO?
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Is this really your first UFO? This am is my really first the- UFO. I'm not the one that's only done UFOs. You're, I think you're the you're one that's only with done me. I'm
2: absolutely not. No.
0: There's no fucking way that I am the only one that's done ufos i refuse to believe it
2: (laughs) i struggled about how to write it and how to tell it because this is it's a juicy one i could have very easily made this a two-parter oh okay please don't though no (laughs) i did not so this is the rendlesham forest incident it's known as britain's roswell because it's the most well-known ufo incident in the uk and some argue that it is the first and or only documented UFO incident. On the 13th of January in 1981, U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt sent a memo to the U.K. Ministry of Defense titled Unexplained Lights. This was written on official U.S. Air Force headed paper, but it was not classified in any way, shape, or form, which is weird to me. But the memo is three paragraphs long, and I'm going to read you most of it. Okay. Early in the morning of 27th December, 1980, two U.S. Air Force Security police patrolmen saw unusual lights outside the back gate at Royal Air Force Woodbridge. Thinking an aircraft might have crashed or been forced down, they called for permission to go outside the gate to investigate. The on-duty flight chief responded and allowed three patrolmen to proceed on foot. The individuals reported seeing a strange glowing object in the forest. The object was described as being metallic in appearance and triangular in shape, approximately two to three meters across the base and approximately two meters high. It illuminated the entire forest with a white light. The object itself had a pulsing red light on top and a bank of blue lights underneath. The object was hovering or on legs. As the patrolman approached the object, it maneuvered through the trees and disappeared. At this time, the animals on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. The object was briefly sighted approximately an hour later near the back gate. The second paragraph is really technical, so I'll summarize it. Okay. It goes on to tell that the next day they went back out, they found three marks in the ground, one and a half inches deep and seven inches in diameter, where the object had been sighted on the ground. And they said that it made a triangle shape between these three marks. Okay. okay. So that was the next day. And from what I read, it was like, I'll get into that anyway. Okay. Uh, the next night, they checked the area for radiation and found peak readings in the three depressions and near the center of the triangle formed by the depressions and a nearby tree had moderate readings on the side of the tree towards the depressions. The final paragraph read, Later in the night, a red sun-like light was seen through the trees. It moved about and pulsed. At one point, it appeared to throw off glowing particles and then broke into five separate white objects and then disappeared. Immediately thereafter, three star-like objects were noticed in the sky. Two objects to the north and one to the south, all of which were about 10 degrees off the horizon. The objects moved rapidly in sharp, angular movements and displayed red, green, and blue light. The object to the north appeared to be elliptical through an 8 to 12 power lens. They then turned to full circles. The object to the north remained in the sky for about an hour or more. The object to the south was visible for two or three hours and beamed down a stream of light from time to time. Numerous individuals, including the undersigned, witnessed the activities in paragraphs two and three. The U.S. government had quote unquote properly disposed. I don't know how they dispose of this stuff. The original copy of this memo. But when Citizens Against the UFO Secrecy or CAUS kept pressuring them to release it, the British Ministry of Defense and the Royal Air Force released their copy to the U.S. government, who in turn released it to the public. And I feel like a lot of this has to do with the fact that none of this was, or this memo, was in no way, shape, or form confidential. So they should have been able to release it pretty easily. And they did eventually release that. The original document still exists and is kept in the National Archives in Kew, West London. There are inconsistencies in the dates and the radiation readings in this memo, memo. That lieutenant oh. Col- memo. Memo. <laughs> and this memo that Lieutenant Colonel Halt admits were due to him going off of memory of the event when he was writing this memo. He never kept a diary or anything, but there are recordings, and you can get them online. You can listen to them. They're kind of hard to listen to because he would carry around one of the little audio recorders and just record himself and whatever he was doing at the time. It is hard to hear because there's multiple people in the area and there's multiple different people talking and sounds going on. And this was the 1980s and barely the 1980s. So the story behind this memo, as the public knows it, in late 1980, the U.S. Air Force was using an air station east of Woodbridge that's known as Royal Air Force Woodbridge in Suffolk, England. It was about 3 a.m. on December 26th when security patrols saw lights descending into the Rendlesham Forest nearby. Like he said, they thought it was an aircraft or, you know, crashing or forcing the land. So they radioed in and they got permission to go out. Originally, it was five guys that went out. They went out. One stayed behind. Four went out in a some kind of vehicle. And when they couldn't go any farther in the vehicle, three more went through the woods to chase the light on foot. Jim Penniston, John Burroughs, and Ed Cabinsag, Cabinsag? I don't know. They make their way in the forest towards the lights, while Chandler and Burren, they monitor their locations with the radio reports. And there are reports of this. They were able to track their movements because they were constantly radioing in. As Penniston Burrows and Cabin Sag chased this funny light, they reported to see blue, white, red, and yellow lights. Burrows and Cabin Sag claimed to have headed east, following the light first in a vehicle and then on foot chasing the lights. After they entered the forest on foot, they could only see the yellow beacon light flashing in the distance. They continued to walk and then they eventually saw a white light that turned out to be a lit up farmhouse. After passing the farmhouse, they realized that this yellow beaking they had been chasing this whole time, it was actually the lighthouse at Orford Ness. Well, that
1: sucks. We're chasing a lighthouse? Stationary object? Uh, yeah. Basically, that's what they say. They have signed,
2: written statements that this is their story.
1: Oh, God. How
0: would you... Chase a lighthouse. I don't understand how you wouldn't know it was a lighthouse.
2: That's what I feel. Um, and they even called the police this night. And the police came out and they told them what happened. They told them what they saw. They showed them the, I guess, they pointed the direction that they saw it in. And I can only imagine that the police left that night and radio dispatched and were like, these idiots saw a lighthouse. We're coming back to the station. Because they, that's exactly what they told them. They're like, that's a lighthouse. It's there. It's bright. That's It's doing its job. It's, you're not supposed to hit it. That's all we, we can tell you there. Exactly. If you can see it here, the boats can also see it. So good job, lighthouse. Good job. Keep up the hard work. Now the soldiers went back out to this spot uh, when the sun came up. And they found a small clearing in the forest with... Burn marks on trees, broken tree limbs, and three small impressions in the ground in a triangular shape. Later reported one and a half inches deep and seven inches in diameter. The deputy base commander, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, he went out two days later and he took a few men with him. They investigated and they looking around. And this is part of the recordings that I tried to listen to. Maybe someone without tinnitus can hear it a little better. They do find some interesting readings on the radiation around the area, but it's nothing groundbreaking. The readings were not dangerous, but the differences on the trees
1: facing that little triangle, they were notable. While they were there, Halt and his crew had their own experience.
2: They hear the farm animals just losing their minds, and then all of a sudden, the men see a flashing light. This is when Hulk compared it to three stars and he said they were hovering on the horizon and they would occasionally see a little beam of light coming down out of them, which that sounds as UFO as it can get for me. Like they're out there picking up cows on the farm.
1: Okay, wait. There's floating object, beam of light. Yeah, yeah it's a UFO. Like. Yeah. yeah. Aliens I'm- are here to get, they. they also like beef. And milk, yeah.
0: Oh, maybe they're here for the milk. I don't know.
2: They're they're here for the calcium. (laughs) Their bones are real dense. Did you say calcium or calcium? I said the clever one. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you really, though? No, I did
2: not. (laughs) I heard
0: calcium, (laughs) if it makes you feel any better. Good, I'll take
2: it. (laughs) So it was two weeks later that Halt wrote this down and I don't know, carrier pigeon mailed whatever he sent the memo to the UK Ministry of Defense. And it kind of seems like they passed it off as a rumor, which fair. This is hard to believe. This is why
1: I think a lot of times this kind of stuff goes unreported. But I kind of want to back up a little bit because I
2: told you that three men went out chasing the lights, right? And we talked about Burroughs and Cabin Sag, but I didn't tell you about Sergeant Jim Pennist. He was the third person in that group. And he has a completely different story of what happened that night. He saw these strange lights. He saw a large yellow glowing light above the trees. A red light blinking on and off for five to ten to sec- what? Five to ten second interview intervals. Jeez, and are you I'm- okay? I'm not sure. I'm really excited. Uh, He also saw a blue light that was, he said, mostly steady. They traveled down an old logging road before leaving the truck and going east on foot through the woods. He says as they entered the woods, the animals on a nearby farm just lost their shit. He claimed that a 30 meter area in front of them was illuminated. And when they got within a 50 meter distance from the object, it was producing both red and blue light. The blue light was under the object and was constant, and he said it lit up the area beneath the object to about a meter or two out. So it's like those uh, fancy car lights, like the LEDs that everyone puts on their cars? Yes, the one that gives you a heart attack as you're going down the road because you think it's a cop, and no, it's just some douchebag with a blue light under his car? I didn't think of it that way, but I mean that's how i think of it like if they're like purple or green yeah cool that's awesome but the blue ones immediate heart attack what about the red ones same thing immediate heart attack pinks
1: depends on how pink is it pink red or is it pink pink probably pink red douchebag okay (laughs) what if they've got red and blue and green and yellow it's like a rainbow
2: is it all at once or does it, uh, it like, go between? It cycles
0: through all of
2: them. Nope, still a douche. Just less of a douche. Okay. <laughs> Penniston then claims to have radioed not only seeing the object, but the color of the lights and that it was, this object was definitely mechanical. He said as they went after it, it took off in a zigzagged motion through the trees. And he said that when they went, Back to the vehicle, they also saw a blue streaking light that only lasted a few seconds. It's been argued that this was all baloney. Kenniston was the only one who never signed or dated his witness statements. So we're not really sure of when these were turned in.
1: Turned in. I love that you say turned in. What do you do with witness statements? Reported. Well, I just, just imagine
2: that Halt is like, I need this on my desk by Monday. And he's like, "Okay, fine. And then he eventually turned it in like the next Thursday or
0: something. Oh, well, it just, it sounds like they're saying, like, it sounds like a we're back to the teacher with that yardstick. Like, if your <laughs> assignments are not turned
2: in by Monday at nine, you don't get a grade. You don't get dessert. And it's also 50 pushups. Is that a lot of push-ups for your And the no, no 200. cookies either. No cookies. Well, they say Not... drop and give me twenty, right? Yeah, but is that a punishment or is that just Tuesday? That feels like a. That feels like both. Like for in the, the army, it, I feel like twenty push-ups. You should be able to like knock that out, right? Yeah, yeah I but I also feel like they do that multiple times a day. Yeah, so it wouldn't really be a punishment unless it was like two hundred. I don't know. Are you in the military? Let us know.
0: Yeah. What's the push-up punishment protocol?
2: The triple P. (laughs) What is Penniston's push-up punishment protocol? The quadruple P. I'm so glad we have covers on our mics or we would just be all (laughs) over the place. Okay. So there are other reasons that
1: people doubt uh, this guy. Years later, Penniston comes out and now he has a notebook that he claims he used to document this experience.
2: He also claims that along with John Burroughs and Ed Cabinsag, they investigated a downed aircraft that day slash night. I think it was night, that early morning. Penderson claims to have examined it for 45 minutes and even touched along with sketches. What? Yes, I'm sorry. He claims to have even touched it and sketched hieroglyphic inscriptions that he said were engraved on the sides of the machine. I want
0: to see these inscriptions.
2: Well, in 1996, he had an interview with Omni magazine and Pennison said that the object was sitting in a clearing when he approached it. Of course. He says, and this quote, I had my notebook and camera while I was out there, so I began taking notes. This is what I wrote. Triangular in shape, the top portion is producing mainly white light, which encompasses most of the upper section of the craft. A small amount of white light peers out at the bottom. At the left side, center is a bluish light, and on the other side, red. This light seems to be molded as part of the exterior of the structure, smooth, slowly fading into the rest of the outside of the structure, gradually molding into the fabric of the craft. Now, this notebook is really heavily doubted uh, for more than one reason.
1: Has anyone the, ever seen it? Oh, yes, we've seen oh. it.
2: I don't know if he has let other people hold it, but in this interview, and I mean, obviously through pictures of the interview, you can see like there's pictures and video of him holding the book. It looks like the camera's like over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Now, the dates written in this book. Do not match the dates we have on official documents. Uh, And when asked why these dates differed, he said that his dates were the actual time and dates that the incident
1: had. Because everyone else is wrong. That's kind of what it felt like. Uh, The book is also dated with civilian
2: times instead of military, aviation, or emergency personnel times, which most of the time we know they use the 24-hour uh, time. Yeah, the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time of the incident, Penniston was all of those things. He was military, aviation, and emergency personnel. So it kind of feels like at like I know people who were in the Army who still use 24-hour times just out of habit that they've never broken. Yeah. So it's weird to me that you would use A 12-hour format.
0: Yeah, I can see that being weird if he was military.
2: His colleague, John Burroughs, said that Penniston was not keeping a notebook that night. And he even went further claiming that Penniston did not have time to make any sketches in a notebook while this was going on. And he did not walk around any kind of spacecraft for 45 minutes.
0: Yeah, because he would have been abducted if he had.
2: More than likely, yeah. Like, you're, you're walking towards a UFO with a blue light underneath it. Sir, everybody knows what that blue light does. It, it leads you to probe town. Beams you up, Scotty. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Other witnesses claim to not have seen an aircraft that night, but only the lights that they eventually realized belong to a lighthouse in witness statements collected afterwards. Richard Bertolino? is reported to have sat next to Penniston as they left the area and returned to base. Bertolino was interviewed by the Earth Files podcast in 2009, and he recalled that Peniston pulled out the notebook and he diagrammed what he saw out there. He said that it was kind of diamond shaped with tripod legs. But during this interview, Bertolino doesn't say that he had seen any pre-existing notes or sketches in the book. Now, from what I could tell, he was not asked if there were any, but from his account, it sounded like Penniston just pulled out this empty notebook and started drawing a UFO. So we don't really know when the rest of these notes came in to this notebook.
0: When he thought of them after having been (laughs) probed,
1: obviously, because he entered a spaceship.
2: There was another part
1: that I... I don't think I added it in here. Oh Yeah, I did. Okay, I'll wait. So, Colonel
2: Ted Conrad, the base commander, and the boss of Lieutenant Colonel Holt, interviewed Peniston a day or two after the incident happened. In 2010, Colonel Conrad said that Peniston reported that he and Burroughs moved through the trees towards an unknown light, which disappeared behind a low rise in the direction of a farmhouse. Peniston said he didn't get close enough for a detailed look and he never mentioned a notebook or an encounter. This is according to Colonel Conrad, who they did investigate this incident, the government did officially, and from what I could tell, they just it was a lighthouse. Nothing ever came of this.
0: They're like, "Guys, it's seriously just a lighthouse. It's What's the big a, deal?"
2: Yes, it's just a lighthouse. Everybody calm your shit. Calm your tatas. Now, this is consistent with Penniston's witness statement, in which he said he never got closer than 50 meters. And he even said that over the radio. In December of 2010, Penniston came out again and claimed that a day or two after witnessing the craft, he telepathically received information that ended up being multiple pages of binary digits that he wrote down in his notebook. And that's
1: why the dates differ. That doesn't make sense still just tell me what the man said i i think the man's having a mental break
2: (laughs) he said um that this happened a couple days later and that's why he initially mixed up the dates on when everything happened
0: oh now the dates are mixed up and not the correct dates
1: Uh uh-huh yes i found sources that yeah he contradicts himself a lot oh speaking of contradicting himself He also changed
2: his story on where he encountered the craft instead of his original claim on seeing it near the East Gate on the western side of the forest. He now claims that it happened on the eastern side of the forest, but farther south than where Colonel Holt found the Triangle and
1: So enough about them. We're going to move on to Vince Thurkettle. You're adding another name in.
2: I Uh don't really
0: appreciate it.
2: Well, Vince Thurkettle, I mean, okay, first of all, that's a hell of a name. I like it. He was a forestry worker and he lived and worked in the forest at the time this supposed UFO was seen. He said that around this time, two men in suits visited him and bombarded him with all kinds of questions from that night. He said that he was initially confused, but they were there to get a report on some red lights in the forest. And they were just trying to follow up on this. They wanted to know if he had left that house that left his house that night. And he said that they were very politely, but firmly asking him questions.
1: They asked him about 20 and then eventually said, okay, well, fair enough. There's probably nothing in it. And then they just left. He thought they were reporters. So for the next couple of days, he bought the newspaper
2: trying to find out like what they were looking for, never saw a story on it. Thurkettle does not buy into this UFO thing. The photo is of Thurkettle during an interview with BBC TV's Breakfast Time Breakfast Time. I'm sorry. BBC TV's Breakfast Time. The interview and the photo were from 1983. And they conducted the interview in the area that the UFO was seen, where the indentions are on the ground, the clearing in the forest. This is where they were. And you can see that red light in the background. That's the lighthouse.
1: Wait, what red light?
2: You see a little glowing red
1: orb off to... Oh, okay. Yeah. Thurkettle. Thurkettle? Is that right? Thurkettle. Yes, Thurkettle. Okay.
2: Thurkettle believes the man... The men who came to see him were reporters tipped off from the soldiers that night. And when he was asked about the clearing in the forest, he says that it is an absolutely normal glade in the forest with three rabbit scrapes. And they're all carefully marked.
0: What's a rabbit scrape?
2: It's basically where rabbits just dig in the ground. They do it. They do it for anything, really. Like, they do it for fun. I don't know. Rabbits just dig.
0: Digging is not fun, but it's fine. You tell your dogs that.
2: No, I'll tell freaking Maisie that, the little (laughs) shithead. (laughs) They're all carefully marked. That happened to be roughly in a triangle. He also said that it was a completely natural glade. They've said things like, but there were broken branches. And he said, "Thurkettle says, well, the forest is full of broken branches. Which is like saucy. Okay. And then he says, they saw burn marks. he's
0: He's like, don't be stupid. There's broken branches everywhere it's a forest what do you expect a
2: perfect tree every 10 10 inches what what it's a forest
1: well remember the burn marks he's got an answer for that too oh okay let's hear him. he said they said
2: obviously there was heat radiating on the spacecraft out from the spacecraft and it burnt these trees but it wasn't it was one of the rangers bill briggs with an axe
1: Wait, so that explains the burn marks?
2: Apparently. According to Burkettle. How does an axe explain burn marks? I'm not really sure. I don't know. We would have to ask Bill Briggs.
0: Maybe the axe was on fire. Like, you know, like the fancy swords
2: (laughs) that are on fire and like all the cartoon stuff. So Bill Briggs went out to this glade in the forest. There was three rabbits digging in a triangle and Bill Briggs... It's slinging a flaming axe. Not slicing, but just smacking it against the tree. Slinging it everywhere. He's just, it's like a party trick. The UK is a magical place. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Can we come? Like, can we visit? Oh, absolutely. I want to see this
0: party trick in live action.
2: Oh No, even
0: better. Wait, hold on. He was doing the people like throw around fire all the time for entertainment
2: now. Maybe he was just practicing. The fire jug- jugglers? I think they eat it and they juggle it, right? Well, they fling it all over. Yeah. Well, some people eat it. Some yeah, people I mean, juggle not... it. What some... if they juggle it into someone's mouth? <gasps> oh, that's the burn marks on the trees.
0: They were practicing for their upcoming performance.
2: Yeah. And he just threw Bill Briggs right up under the bus. Like, he's supposed to be working, doing forestry things, (laughs) but he's not. He's practicing his flaming, juggling fire axes.
0: There's clearly no UFOs in this story. Absolutely
2: not. It's a perfectly normal glade. So when the U.S. government finally released this memo to the public in 1983, the media ate it with a spoon. It was plastered on headlines. There were books and articles written. TV shows were filmed. Rendlesham Forest became the UFO capital of the U.K. And the Forestry Commission even made a UFO trail in that forest that included a model of what the men allegedly saw that night.
0: I was going to ask, is that just like what they saw? Is that mm-hmm. where they allegedly saw it too? Yes. Okay, so we have to go visit.
2: Yes, we can go on the UFO trail that I'm sure Thurkettle, that's probably when he retired. When they came out and they're like, we're making this trail. He's like, this is bullshit. Bill Briggs you ruined the forest. I reti- I quit.
0: I can't do this anymore. I quit. There that's clearly that's was no this. UFO. Mm-hmm.
2: Bill Briggs come clean. <laughs> so, in June of 2010, Halt came out again. And he signed a notarized state- a notarized statement that included this paragraph. I believe the objects that I saw at close quarter were extraterrestrial in origin. And that the security services of both the United States and the United Kingdom have attempted, both then and now, to subvert the significance of what occurred at Rendlesham Forest and Royal Air Force Bentwaters by the use of well-practiced methods of disinformation. Which is a really fancy way of saying, this is bullshit, I know what I saw, the government's covering it up.
0: They've all kerbobbled everyone.
2: And Uh, now we don't know what's true. You remember? I mentioned Colonel Ted Conrad earlier, Mr. Bossman. Vaguely, yeah. He was the base commander for not only Woodbridge, but also Bentwaters. And Bentwaters is like it's a base nearby that was also being borrowed or whatever military term I should probably use by the US government at that time. Loaned?
1: Sure. They were they were on holiday at these bases. Um He was asked for his comment on Halt's
2: statement, and he said, Colonel Halt can believe as he wishes. I've already disputed to some degree what he reported. However, he should be ashamed and embarrassed by his allegation that his country and England both conspired to deceive their citizens over this issue. He knows better.
0: First of all, humans can't handle aliens right now. Can you imagine if an alien just came on TV and was like, wah, 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 and everyone's like, that means that aliens are real. and People would lose their goddamn minds. Yes.
2: He could have been on there. <laughs> he could have came on TV and been like, excuse me, what channel is Dr. Phil on? And Americans, Americans, I mean, yes, but people the of the world, world are going to be like, oh my God, they're coming for our money. Everybody panic set the house on there's fire there's going to be riots it's we as a human species cannot
0: handle aliens no we like cannot
2: we, fathom having to share this world with anybody else we cannot fathom having to share this universe with anybody no. else we already hate sharing with each other sharing other is people, not caring other people that are smarter than us get out and shut the door no, behind you no go by there's no way Absolutely not. No.
0: Point being is that, of course, of course, the UK and US would be like, nope, no, don't, don't fucking tell the citizens. Can you just let's talk about what's going to happen when they know about aliens mm-hmm. and time travel and teleportation? Like, we we can't let them freaking know. No. Stop it, Bill. You're going to take the heat for this.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I will say too, like Colonel Ted Conrad. Okay, he was retired. At the time of this comment. But. Hi. Me over here. Uh, never been part of the military. Because I don't do well being told what to do. Um, I'm pretty sure. Once you're sworn to secrecy. That's forever. You're sworn to secrecy. Yeah. yeah, So you have to say that Ted Conrad. How do I know he's not part of this cover up. And he's pissed at halt Because halts over here like. I know what I saw. And Conrad's like. No.
0: Conrad's like i swore an oath of secrecy
1: mm-hmm.
0: i am not breaking that oath unlike some people over here halt thanks halt
1: shut I'm your team face halt.
0: i mean i'm team halt too because why not but also like there, I, I don't believe that there's any way we are alone in this universe there's no way we're just the glitch that has is on a planet That can support life and we're the only ones. There's no way.
2: I agree. No. There's, yeah, no. Everything you just said, I keep wanting to say it, but you already said it. So, no, I agree with Bryce. There's no way (laughs) we're alone. And I feel like a government cover-up? Oh, my. What? What? That never happens. We know everything. They tell us. They care about us.
0: Uh, Well, no, I'm not saying they don't care about us. Because I think what it really comes down to is just the human race cannot handle that big of a freaking shakeup.
2: I don't know what I would do. You could tell me if you provided me proof that aliens are real. I would go out right now and rob a bank. And then I would be in jail with what's his face? Morris? Morris? and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would would be
0: with them, but. Well, I mean, if they're coming out as like peaceful, all right, whatever. But people would still have a panic. Like, can you imagine, like, just a normal person, like, oh, my God, there's aliens, they exist. But then think about, like, all right, religions now have to adjust to talk about how those aliens came about and they have to start figuring out those stories and their backstories and learning their religions. We're bringing in all these different things and all these different beliefs. These aliens are going to bring right and wrongs for their their
2: species. We like it's too much religions already can't even agree on one being now we have two we've got potential for two and multiple like there's just no way and all the no. knowledge
0: that these these beings can bring with them i know i sound fucking insane dad don't say shit i don't want to hear it um <laughs> but they're like all the technology that they can bring that i mean i'm sure there's things that we've discovered or have that's far more advanced than what we actually utilize um, at least the government. But like, can you imagine a species that learned to travel such far distances and survive? Yeah.
1: Going to our wild. world and people not wanting to dissect them. Mm. Yeah, that just took a dark turn. At first I was like, oh yeah, that would be
2: so cool. And then you're like, and then cut them open. And I'm like, okay, hold on. That's why we can't handle it. Agre- no, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> there's always going to be some sicko out there that's like cut them open, cut them open,
1: I open them up. How many Lord hearts Lord he has.
2: do you that's have? Like- more or less stomachs than an octopus? What are we? Couldn't looking you at? just ask him or her or them? Where is the fun in that? They live to tell us more about where they're from. Oh, we don't care about that. We just want your spacecraft. I
0: care about that.
2: Oh. I do as well. i Want to hear about their space adventures? Okay, we're off on
0: like a really bad tangent. I'm so sorry. Oh, we that's should get that done.
2: Oh, okay, good. Yeah, tangent away.
0: Okay, but can you just I just imagine. I can't I just everyone's minds would freaking explode implode.
2: Whatever the correct terminology is. They both. would just <laughs> They would do both at the same time. They would explode and then implode. I think it would probably
1: implode then explode. No. That's not oh, okay. messy enough.
0: Well, I mean, you've already got messy brains then exploding out and creating more of a
2: mess. Yeah, and then it just sucks back in and implodes. Oh, okay. But I mean, just think about it.
0: Like there's just no way. There's no way we're alone on the earth or not on the earth in the universe.
1: But gotta also be
0: more. are we really that interesting to aliens that they want to come visit here or I mean, not? Guess- I guess maybe they're like, this is a great reality TV show, guys. Look what the humans did this week.
2: Just like, not even that. Like, one of them could be like, hey, use your like super zoomy thing and check this shit out. And then he like flies down, makes a complete ass out of an entire military base and then flies back up. And he's like, all right, now watch this shit. And three years, they're going to come back and it's just going to be another big thing all over again. (laughs)
0: They're like, listen, we're just going to hover here. See what people think. Just listen to the radios, the chatter, see what happens.
2: They're sitting there Um, with a... a, Oh, what do you call that thing the truckers have? The radios? Is it a transistor radio? No.
0: I know what you're talking about. I can't think of it.
2: My dad used to have one and we would play on it. It's fine. Yeah, whatever. Everybody knows what we're talking about and they're screaming it at us right now. It's fine. Yeah,
0: you can scream it at us via email or... (laughs) <laughs> message us on wherever later we don't care yeah
2: point being is
1: that we sound insane and it's fine it's cool if you don't sound insane with us i don't know what to tell you
2: i just feel like there's a lot of truth to this case and peniston kind of came out and at first i feel like okay you know there's he was the only one that was like This is what actually happened. And I feel like there's truth to that. But then he came out later and then he kept changing his story.
1: And he just shed a lot of doubt on this whole thing. But I also feel like maybe that's. A lot of that might come from like the
0: backlash he gets from coming out. Maybe like the stress. Like we don't know what was happening. Were people like mocking him? Was he being kind of tormented that way? And it kind of is starting to make him like doubt himself.
2: He did a lot of interviews, I'll say that. I know we know that goes both ways. Um, Now, Halt, Halt seemed pretty, his story seemed to stay pretty much the same. Um, And the last time he came out in 2010, there were a lot of inconsistencies there too, but 30 years had gone by. Right. And I understand mixing up dates and stuff like that, too, when you're going from memory dates and freaking Miller-Rentgen's or whatever it is. Yeah, I went on off on a deep end and looked up all of that stuff. I don't think I could remember temperatures, much less <laughs> radiation readings. That's why I
0: have Google. I just Google everything. Exactly.
2: What's the radiation?
0: read? What was the temperature on?
2: Did did the date? That's the only reason so, I know what a Miller is. And I might be saying that wrong, but. Probably you didn't Google it, though, right? Mm hmm. I did, but that's one of those words that's like 15 letters long. And I'm like, Miller, what? You got the Miller, and I think that counts. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I think it counts.
0: All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Hell on Hills podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Hell on Hills podcast, Twitter, Hell on Hills pod, or Facebook by searching Hell on Hills podcast. You can find all of the links to all of the things on Linktree by typing in Hell on podcast in Linktree. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create more content for you, you can no- donate through Patreon where we're working to release specials for our patro- patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal story suggestions or words of encouragement, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell or force your friends to listen with you. This has been Hell on podcast. Bye! Bye.